1: And we're back—the 900th episode of Kiko.
2: I'm getting Sure, feels like it now.
3: <laughs> feels like 700. I'll say it. <laughs> uh, how is everybody? Doing all right? Good. I had my birthday this weekend, and I'm yeah, I know. I am a plummy-eyed ghoul, so it shows.
2: Do you feel? Do you feel old?
3: Uh, kind of. I'm 32 now, which is the age that. Karen Carpenter died so we're all thinking about that constantly (laughs) well
1: you know so
2: the 33rd will really be the celebration triumphant yes (laughs) Yes, right yeah okay
1: Lewis dragged me to the beach I did and and you were dressed in like a
3: full like parasol and like uh, I don't (laughs) cape what did you wear a capelet and a cape a jersey I don't remember all right (laughs) Oh, uh, Louis,
2: you know what a sports jersey looks uh, like—the mesh. Know, you know, you've seen that. I don't know if I could
1: draw it. <laughs> if you made me, uh, the beach was horrific. I hate the beach, even though I live in LA. <laughs> uh, I would rather a nice pool in someone's backyard. Also, I tried to ride a bird because our driver, no! our, our driver, no! our driver dropped no! us off at lifeguard station eight. Because someone, I won't mention their name, put in the wrong thing. And we had to walk to LifeGuard Station 18. It was like a 25-minute walk. And Why did I you saw, just call
2: another car?
1: I don't know. I saw a bird there and I was like, let's oh, ride it. No. But my driver's license has expired. It expired on my birthday. Oh my Wait, God. do you need a
2: driver's license? Yeah, to you do have a to a scan it. Oh, Lord. That's even okay. So, the idea that these things <laughs> the are the government like... is onto my you part. Know, the idea that these, the argument that I get, because I've still been fighting with people about those goddamn scooters, that they're like helpful for maybe they're like homeless people can use it as a mode of transportation or like people who don't have other modes of transportation. All this shit that you need to ride one, you got to have a goddamn active driver's license. If you don't have a car, you may not even have an active driver's license.
1: And you need a smartphone.
2: And a smartphone. Get the fuck out of here. Fly. Mm-hmm away, birds. I hate you. I still hate you. I'm going to throw you all in the dumpster.
3: Also, I'm now picturing you riding a bird for miles up the beach. And I, shall we say, am
1: living.
2: What else is happening? CBS. um,
1: This is my favorite network, so please be (laughs) respectful. Les Moonves is still in charge. My girl. uh, At the TCA's this weekend, uh, entertainment president Kelly Call basically was like, our culture is fine, and everyone is happy walking the halls at CBS, as they have been for the past 40 years, and nothing's happening. Excuse me. Hawaii Five-0
3: is in its 34th season. It's like Sesame <laughs> Street they, for your grandparents. They,
2: they also had a weird sort of kerfuffle with... um, They're doing a remake ugh, of Magnum, P.I., or one of yes, those, mm-hmm. whatever the fuck. And Jay Hernandez um is... Playing the lead role, and they basically asked him, like, you know, you have a Latinx character, how is that going to affect, like, this new role? And they were like, uh, he just, they literally were like, he just happens to be not white. And you're like, oh, that's not how this works, where it's like you can just treat them like, oh, he's the same guy, but he's Tanner. Um, And they kind of botched that.
3: Yeah, they could have come up with something. I mean, like, literally anything. Like, he'll do a fun handshake with other Latinx characters. They also
2: didn't. Someone asked if they had a Latinx writer in the room, and the guy was like, no, unfortunately not. And then he later had to tweet, oh, wait, yes, we do. (laughs) 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 So, you know, I'm available for consulting, for very expensive consulting fees to white people everywhere if you would like to not look crazy in front of the world.
1: (laughs) My God, that network. They also have the MacGyver reboot still, right? Yeah. What is going on? It's very shocking. We're going to talk about some of these messy reboots and that Magnum P.I. one a little bit later when John M. Chu joins us. He is the director of Crazy Rich Asians. I consider them decadent, thriving Asians, but that's on him. (laughs) We'll jump into all of that a little bit later. Keep It is brought to you by Barefoot Dreams. Lewis? Yes? When you see Footprints in the Sand, that was when I carried you in my Barefoot Dreams rub. Now, is that a Leona Lewis song? (laughs) No? Uh, If you want to bring coziness into your life, you turn to Barefoot Dreams, especially now as the brand is celebrating their 30th anniversary. And how I live my life every day. Oh, I'm glad to bear witness to it. (laughs) Each of NPR's Black voices are as distinct, varied, and nuanced as the Black experience itself. In the Black Stories, Black Truths collection, you'll hear stories of joy, resilience, empowerment, and creating world-shifting things out of a struggle. It sounds like
3: you at Coachella. I'm already tuned in. Every episode is a living account about what it means to be Black today, told from a unique Black perspective. From Bobby Shmurda to The Wire... Michelle Obama to reparations. There's no limit to the range of Black stories, Black truths.
1: Black perspectives have not always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now they are the story. In NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, you'll find a collection of some of NPR's best podcast episodes celebrating the Black experience. Here a feed of episodes from across NPR's podcasts that center Black voices. It's NPR Noir. Turn on NPR today and hear a range of voices as very nuanced, and Black as the country we reflect. Stories should never be about us, without us. Doesn't the Black experience sound like a three-disc
3: Prince album we never got? Someone check the vault, please. <laughs> Listen now to Black Stories, Black Truths from NPR wherever you get your podcasts.
1: This past weekend, Donald Trump was racist again. (sighs) Shocker. I know. Um, This weekend, he went after LeBron James, who on Monday sat down with CNN's Don Lemon to discuss his new I Promise School for at-risk youth in Akron, Ohio. Oh, so so he was asking for it. I understand Um, what Donald Trump was coming from. Days later, Trump discovered this interview exists. And started tweeting about it, and he said, LeBron was just interviewed by the dumbest man on television, Dom Lemon. He made LeBron look smart, which isn't easy to do.
2: I like Mike.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Sorry,
3: not even funny. This is atrocious. He's a horror show. I'm sorry. I like
2: to think that he caught Melania watching the episode under her covers with an iPad, and that's how he became aware that this interview (laughs) took place.
3: There's like obviously no way to have like a novel take on Donald Trump anymore. But just can we please start framing him as president has nothing to do? I'm sorry. There's tons of interviews over the weekend being like our president sucks. And he randomly picked one or not so randomly picked one with two black people and decided because he could throw the low IQ bullshit at them again. He did it.
2: LeBron James is fucking great. In so many different arenas, and the school is amazing,
3: including basketball arenas, which we all yes, know about.
2: Yes, we know a lot about Thank them you. and the dribbling, right, Lewis?
3: Right, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. jerseys and
2: the touchdowns,
3: right? Please, oh, oh,
2: oh, oh. Kara. you.
3: <laughs> I will get my things and leave Kara, with being tripped up like this.
2: But I have to say, the conversation that I most enjoyed that came out of this out of this incident was when everyone was kind of like, "Yo, you remember when Don Lemon was like?" Full on in the sunken place. And like basically, everyone was like, when do you think he looked at himself in the mirror and thought, you know what? No more. No more. Because he could not have taken more of a turn from the last like three or four years.
1: Right. Alt Don Lemon might have been like, well, you know what? I I did get a low score on my SAT. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, Perhaps you're
2: right. (laughs) But now he was like pissed at. Now he grew his hair out a little and he has been. Don has stepped up because I mean if you remember do you remember when he held that sign that that said nigger on it yes! and like oh, wow. was like does this offend you he defended stop and frisk he said once on his show remember that malaysian airplane that like disappeared and by disappeared it fell into the ocean guys my god he was like we'll could it have been could it have been like a worm a hole or something fucking crazy where you were like what are you saying Don Lemon he was bananas and now he's like a fairly measured still cnn but cnn journalist
3: his rebuttal to the whole thing was this 10 minute i'll say rachel maddow-esque takedown of where trump was coming from and it really was fabulous and worth watching
4: well unlike this president who lashes out wildly at
1: anyone who criticizes him i have pretty thick skin and lebron james in addition to being a brilliant black man a superstar in his sport and a hero to his community is taking the high road, which is exactly where he belongs. So, since this president, since he spews so many insults so often, the president has called a lot of people stupid. Some of those people are white, but I would just like to note that referring to African Americans as dumb, remember this is America, referring to African Americans as dumb is one of the oldest canards of America's racist past and present that black people are of inferior intelligence. Did it end with mysteries about why Paul Manafort was in Oklahoma in 1965, seven years? (laughs) Are you saying Rachel Maddow like goes down to the library and examines
3: microfiche and discovers like he was there in 1947? Rachel Maddow spends her
1: mornings like she's in the Pelican Brief. Yeah, (laughs) Darby Shaw, I love that book. Um, The annoying thing about this too is that I remember when everyone was like, oh, is Trump, like, part of the alt-right? You know, is he a white nationalist president? And it's like, one, yes, the racism literally jumped out when he came down the escalator talking about how Mexicans are rapists, but this thing that he likes to do with, like, calling black people dumb and specifically mentioning IQ is, like, straight out of the white nationalist playbook. Like, they are obsessed with racism science and this idea that... Black people are not as smart as white people. And he knows what he's doing when he tweets this. You know, he's he's dumb, but he's not that dumb. Also, by the way, I hate bringing up this IQ bullshit again
3: that's verifiable information that he does not have. He's just literally yelling at you. They have low IQs when he does not have the papers. I'm sorry. I don't mean, I know we all know he lies. This is a very specific type of propagandistic lie.
1: Right. It's like when he talks about how his poll numbers are high. It's like, where did you see this? On the back Which of a bazooka poll? Joe comic.
2: It really <laughs> speaks to like the deep delusion of racism for Donald Trump to roll out of bed, I assume onto the floor. That's right. Um, Like Garfield. Yes. And to see... Lasagna's still in (laughs) hand. (laughs) To see LeBron James and think, I'm better than him. (laughs) It's... Such a level of delusion, truly, where I'm like, it's why it's the only reason racism makes sense to me. Because I'm like, you have to be living so far outside of of the actual reality to look at LeBron James and just be like, you know what? I think I figured this out better than he did.
3: And to acquit himself of being racist by saying, but I do enjoy another basketball player who is black. So, I mean, (laughs) none of this. You can't hold it against me, of course.
1: I like Mike, aside from being a mediocre Bow Wow movie <laughs> was him trying to pit Michael Jordan against LeBron, which ignores the fact that like Michael Jordan does not like your ass either. Right.
2: And you know what's also interesting about that? The whole LeBron James Michael Jordan debate like is obviously something that's been going on for a long time but for him to be aware of it is kind of interesting that that's something I feel like even in the last Stephen month or Miller so. Miller
1: must have done, done Right. This. I'm like
2: who's telling him about this because that is like I've seen those conversations on Twitter. They obviously come up a lot and it's not to say that he's not like a basketball fan but that's really a conversation like in the last few years people have been having And I'm like, who, where did you, because you knew specifically why to throw in that dig, because it's because people try to pit the two of them against each other. And so I really just want to know who told him about that, or like, is he really, like, is he on black Twitter? Like, what's happening?
1: Right? Is he dining with Michael Jordan while Michael Jordan's whispering to him, "Republicans buy sneakers too"? <laughs> that rumor, that oh, that's like, like thirty that years dumb, old. That isn't it? Dumb yeah. urban legend that's been around forever. And the idea that he also like had a hand in private prisons, like it's nonsense. And a lot of it is the fact that we, as a culture, have sort of jumped back into uh, really a lot of our black figures need to be woke they need to be talking about politics more like um especially with trump is like you have to be on the ball and that has people re-evaluating how they feel about michael jordan from the 90s which i feel like is unfair because you can't look at someone through the lens of what was acceptable in the 90s in a 2018
3: and also michael jordan is one of the first celebrities to acquire that type of money i think too i just i don't know what that does to you i don't know who's in your ear i don't know what's going on and it feels weird to
1: even well, kind he of certainly reject, didn't you know. you know kill a white woman like okay <laughs>
2: <laughs> i mean miles brown wrote a piece for gq that Which was, was a, great was a really great breakdown and all of that and he does talk about the fact that like michael jordan has done a lot of charity work you know th- that statement where he just said like i stand with LLJ which like okay man like (laughs) (laughs) like it's one of those things where if you look back at him and I can't really fault him for like in the 90s and 80s not you know wearing an I can't breathe hoodie because that was not something that you know was happening or was aware of in in, in the way that we're talking about things now but it is like right now you could have done fucking better than I stand with lj i understand how like he has been doing a lot of work for a long time and he does it quietly and the fact that he is an owner of an nba team is a very big deal and and it employs um black people in positions that they not, aren't usually in in leadership roles within that organization but i still think you could have done better than i stand with with lebron james like there's also, I get so confused when people don't just fucking come for Trump because you're like, there's no downside to this. right it, When you could just call him a fucking bum too be like, fuck you. And everyone would be like, yes, fuck Donald Trump. Exactly. There's no, there's no losing there to have just like had a little bit more of a backbone. But, you know, I, that's not really his style, but I wish, I just want more people to be insulting Donald Trump. Literally
1: <laughs> one of my favorite responses to Trump was, when Trump came after Steph Curry for, yeah. you know, the Warriors not wanting to go to the White House. And LeBron tweeted, you bum.
3: That's <laughs> hilarious. Also, by the way, I, I guess I would have expected something more from Michael Jordan because Trump's tweet implies you can't like the both of them. You know what I mean? So for him to be like, uh, actually, we're both, you know, I mean, legends. He, you know, He
2: gets he gets. He got the insult. He understood it. And I think that he also knew what he was doing with that particular statement. But, um, you know, it's it's good that he said something.
1: It's also the White House knew what they were doing when— Melania's "quote unquote" official oh. statement came out that she supports LeBron and would love to visit his school in Ohio. Nobody
2: wants you at that Nobody school. Nobody wants you there. First of all, how's we the don't be know, Best"
1: initiative going? By we, the way, we don't know which ninth body double is going to walk into that school <laughs> anyway. So <laughs> keep your embroidered you think Savannah, um, Zara you jacket.
2: Savannah is going to let <laughs> is let that woman stroll into that school. Give me a break. <laughs> LeBron's going to be, like, playing defense to keep her ass out of there. They are not.
3: Melania, stay in that bedroom and feel the wallpaper some more. I just feel like she's touching textured wallpaper all day. She just wants day. to
2: leave. She's just like, is this the way out? Should I go yeah. to the basketball player's school? Will they let me out if I do that? She's just looking for exit routes, guys. She doesn't give a shit about that school. I'm
1: talking to Jackie O's ghost. Yeah, sure. <laughs> How'd you do it? <laughs> when we're back Beyonce
3: Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest but let me play devil's advocate here let's see so no that's a good thing Uh, (laughs) that's definitely not a problem Uh, Reese's you did it you stumped this charming devil
0: you like to watch new stuff right?
1: Beyoncé Giselle Knowles Carter was granted full control of the Vogue September issue this year. She spoke in her own words to writer Clover Hope. Woo! Yes. Shout out
2: to Clover. Yeah,
1: worked at Jezebel with Kara. uh uh-huh.
2: Clover's also a really truly excellent uh journalist, an excellent music journalist. And, and she I'm so earned proud that of her. She after did.
1: her review of Lemonade, which she was did. fantastic. Yeah. Um, Anyway, she spoke to Clover for Vogue magazine, and she was also photographed by 23-year-old Tyler Mitchell, the first black photographer to shoot a cover for Vogue. So basically, Beyonce just did that. (laughs) (laughs) But also, we said this last
3: week, how fucking crazy is it that we haven't had a black photographer for the Vogue cover? It's just very crazy.
2: It is. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> it, it is. It is. And 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 also just not remotely surprising. Like it was sort of surprising, but then you're like, oh no, of course not. Of course they haven't. Of course they haven't done this. Like they 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 let six black people on the cover. Um and like, right. You know Jennifer Lopez.
1: <laughs> and um it what's funny too is um. Anna Wintour gave an interview because amidst all of this, people have been talking about how she's planning to retire. Mm-hmm. And um, she always wants to get ahead of these rumors. And, you know, the story is that she wants to retire on her own terms and not have people know about it beforehand. Uh, and she was sort of like downplaying it too. Like, there's always interest, you know, in the September issue. But that article mentions the fact that, like, Rihanna's June vote mm-hmm. cover outsold Jennifer Lawrence's September, September. issue, which mm-hmm. was last year. It's like people talk about the September issue, girl, but they talk about people who are stars. Right.
2: Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know. She's always too plain that like, bitch, you thought I was going to leave, didn't you? And then she's <laughs> like, nope, I'm still here. So that to me was like, of also of all of the, like of the story around this cover Anna Wintour maybe leaving was, like, the least interesting part of this. I was like, Beyonce is on the cover, just being Beyonce, and, like, you have this black photographer. She's getting full editorial control, which is a little weird, Um, but she looked amazing. Right. What do we
1: think about the Instagram captions that Beyonce (laughs) provided us?
2: It is... I mean, that bitch will not give you another interview. I... (laughs) I, because the, the story to Clover was as told to, um, and so presumably I'm sure like she was she was interviewing her and asking her questions, but to do a sort of you know, more traditional feature story where I would maybe interview you and then I go off and I write something and I interview other people and do my opinions and thoughts on you as a person and an artist. Like, I think we will all be in our graves before Beyonce does another, does an interview like that again. Um, It's a little, it's interesting because like after we talked about Goop and like the fact that they couldn't keep doing the thing with Vogue because Vogue was like, you have to fact check this. The Beyonce sort of, September issue is kind of flies in the face of actual journalism to give this person full editorial control over something they're on the cover of. Um, but, you know, I, I, I feel that I should be more worried but I'm like, I do Like, s- I can't. I'm so
3: conditioned to want to hear Beyonce in her own words yes. that I sort of just forgot to think about, oh, the fourth estate is also disappearing. Who right, knows? exactly. That
1: said, I mean, like, it was. It we was... do this all the time, though, too. You know, like, Tina fan Amy Poehler had control of a magazine once. Like, it started, like, back when, like, Salvador Dali did Vogue Paris in 71. So it's like, we do this for celebrities sometimes. Beyonce more often than not. Because. She literally does not let us see behind the wall. I feel like, did you see that video of her online that a friend of hers was um, shooting? Oh, Mally, the makeup artist. Yeah, yeah. the makeup artist. She was shooting the video, but Beyonce didn't know it was a video. She thought it was a photo. And it was like the most revealing interview we've seen in 20 years. I know.
2: The last time Beyonce was on Vogue was that like, Everyone thought, oh, she's on the cover and we're going to get this story. And you read it and realize that they didn't even talk to her. <laughs> and they, let, they gave her access to, like, her hairstylist and, like, four people. And they're like, that'll do for the interview. So Beyonce is not talking to us for any damn thing.
3: The shoot itself, by the way, pretty decadent and cute and the same, you know. I always say Beyonce is like if Tina Turner were an x Men, And you got
1: that same amount of decadence and power, so... Hooray. <laughs> X-Men Ben No, she did look good. She has an obsession with flowers lately. Quite. She's on her poison ivy, uh, because I remember her birth announcement was her behind that big-ass flower wall. Uh, I can't afford these flowers, Beyonce. They'll die in my apartment. I know. Don't Where are make you me getting want, these? Don't make me want florals.
2: Do we all have to start <laughs> wearing floral headdresses now? That's what right. I'm concerned about.
1: Namely me. I yeah. mean, like, I got to stop that. Yeah. <laughs> I did appreciate at least two of the things that she mentioned in it. Uh, She talked about her history um, of descending from a slave owner. And she also talked about how troubling her birth was to the twins. Yeah. Which
3: people are not talking about that much. And she literally is like, maybe some of my organs were outside of my body during this procedure. I was like, that is very harrowing. One, two, I did not know this happened. So I'm actually learning something. And three, why aren't like Beyonce's organs like trending? You know, why is
2: it? I appreciate when she talked about her ancestry, specifically when she called, she said that her, one of her, Great, great something was a slave owner who fell in love with a slave and, and and she descended from the union of them. And she called that relationship a curse, which like I feel like you. <laughs> I don't know if it's often, but like if you look at something like 12 Years a Slave, where this It was probably the first time you saw that relationship of like the slave owner and a black slave, where it seemed like true terrorism, which is what it was, and rape, as opposed to like they fell in love. It's like that doesn't work. You cannot fall. A slave cannot fall in love with someone who owns them. That I believe that that man fell in love with her, but it does not work the reverse. And I think you think
1: Sally Hemmings planned her own wedding. You think she? Yeah, (laughs) down to (laughs) the bridesmaid dresses, the way the way people talk about her. Yeah,
2: exactly. Like this was like a real relationship, and it wasn't. And so I really appreciated that. I also loved what she said about teaching her son to have a high emotional IQ, because Lord knows men with a low emotional IQs have ruined the world, like truly have fucked everything up with like these fucking ridiculous ideas about masculinity and, and not being vulnerable. It has literally ruined the world. And like for her to say that that's something that's really important to her. I'm like, please, God, can everyone just please just try to remember that?
1: Plus I feel like growing up with Beyonce as your mom and just being in that whole family, plus also having the history of Jay-Z fuck up looming over you is gonna give you some good give
2: you some good skills. Sir, little baby sir. It's funny, I have to call it baby sir. Um... <laughs> it's
3: like a Mario Kart <laughs> yeah. character There's sir and then baby sir. <laughs> Also, uh, I thought something that was kind of underrated within that article, and there was a, a slate piece that touched on this, was just an implication in that in Beyonce self pen thing was the pressures on her. Like, she had this, I'll say, traumatic childbirth or whatever, and then was touring milliseconds later. Like, that's a very unusual and rigorous and well, she wild said for experience. The, for the
2: first, at, for Blue, she specifically scheduled a tour so that she would have to get back in shape, which is mm. just like. Oh, like it's so it's just like speaks to like the snapback with women having to bounce back from pregnancy, which is like a fucking I mean, it is a natural thing that, you know, whatever, ever it's happened forever. But it's a traumatic thing to your body that you need time to heal from. And then in particular with the twins, which was so traumatic, she was like, I had to rest for a long time. That was major fucking surgery. It was very serious. And the like, I've even seen people on this latest tour be like, Is she pregnant again? Because they thought she looked a little bigger. And I'm like, That's fucking crazy. She just, she, now she's told you that she had an insanely traumatic pregnancy, that like she now has some extra weight as a result of that surgery that she had to have. And people who, they didn't know that fine, but it speaks to just like how you talk about women's bodies, where you're like, Oh, is she pregnant? It's like she made three human beings. Jesus fucking Christ. And she's still willing to dance for you people. That should be enough.
1: It also puts um, seeing her Beachella performance into more perspective, you know, because she had this emotional moment at the end, you know, where she was like, thank the audience. And she was like, I was supposed to perform last year. Sorry to keep y'all waiting. And people in the audience were like, girl, you keep us waiting. Like, <laughs> we're here. But, you know, it's like knowing that she had gone through all of that. And now this was her first big performance back and she gave all of us that i found it moving
2: be grateful it is a little it perhaps could be dicey but there are so many publications that we need to address before we get to fucking vogue you know a fashion magazine letting a person who's probably as qualified to do this job as a lot of the people doing it you know getting so what does a shot.
1: this mean for vogue's future do things change? Like, do we see more black women on the covers? Do we see more black photographers? Or is Anna like? Well, I think we definitely get
3: more, like, just kind of stunts, period, where, you know, they cede control, because, like, print media has to. Like, I'm surprised Anna Winter isn't, like, entering, like, the slam dunk contest or, like, shooting herself out of cannons, you know, to I, get more views. Celebrity
1: Big Brother confirmed. <laughs> yes.
2: <laughs> I do think that, for me, the bigger win was having that black photographer. And I do actually think, and I never did not think I would say this, but print magazines have been doing a decent job getting black women on their covers. Like, there are a bunch of black women who were on September issues this year. I mean, it is sort of the same. It's a Lupita, it's a Beyonce, it's a Rihanna, it's a Zendaya, but I I see that that representation is... Is improving. What I would be now worried about is like, okay, where are like the Latinx women who are on where like it's not just J Lo and Selena Gomez. I thought I would have seen more covers with Constance Wu with Crazy Rich Asians coming out, and I didn't. And so I feel like not to be like, okay, the black people are fine, let's move on. But <laughs> I, I I do think in terms of like that specific type of representation, it seems like that is certainly on the right track. And so the broadening of how we're looking at this seems like a good way to go.
1: Right. And if there's been you know. One one, the first black photographer for Vogue is like I don't even want to get you into know damn the sure. other exactly exactly <laughs> like just, you know damn
2: sure everyone else has not been getting a shot
3: I hope this doesn't mean we get fewer Rooney Mara covers though because but God ev- another austere Lewis, drag, out, dra- another austere butterfly wing dress that's what I need
2: Why don't you start, you know, you can start a magazine like Oprah where you just put Rooney Mara on every cover. Your lips to God's ears. Every every month.
1: Rooney. And every month I'm going to be upset it's not about the band. That's Oh, my God.
3: That's the sickest thing I've ever heard. (laughs) This is a woman with a harsh bang who doesn't seem like she's here for it
1: ever. That's my brand. Uh, When we're back, John M. Chu, the director of Crazy Rich Asians. Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate
3: here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, (laughs) That's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You
1: stumped this charming devil.
0: You like to watch new stuff, right? Well, go to Hulu and see what's new, because Hulu has new stuff all the time.
1: And we are back with the director of one of the sexiest movies of the summer. Um, we are here with John M. Chu, director of Crazy Rich Asians. The movie's oh, great. Thank yes. you.
4: Thank you. I appreciate
1: that. The decadence
3: of this movie. You just let it swallow you up. And by decadence, I mostly mean Michelle, who, excuse me, you think I wasn't in the theater when Tomorrow Never Dies came out? There's a Cheryl Crow theme, I'm in.
0: <laughs>
4: She she is amazing. She's the most elegant woman you will ever meet. She uh, has like eight houses all around the world. Ugh. She is uh, she's everything.
2: I I was a I am a big fan of the books, so I've also just like been I read all three of them in like the course of two weeks. And they're so great. Mm-hmm. And I was also watching this movie, and I was like, everyone in this movie is so hot. I can't handle this. Everyone is so well dressed. This is exactly what like I needed out of like a summer rom-com oh, blockbuster it's so much fun
1: every man has a key shirtless scene <laughs> I know. which
2: is beautiful a lingering yes. shirtless oh, scene yes. Oh, yes.
1: Uh, and i just i also want it to be a musical the, the i dance think it should sequence, be a musical the dance <laughs> sequence was fantastic and i knew it would be because you directed one of my favorite dance sequences in a film ever Which one is that? You know which one. The Rain Dance. The Rain Dance and Step step Up up to the Streets.
4: Uh, Yeah, that was my first movie. Um, Oh, wow. That uh, movie fucking rules. (laughs) Yeah. Thank you. So congrats. Thank you. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. Dance uh, has been a part of my life since the very beginning. I took... Tap when I was a young kid uh, from uh, from like five years old to 16. Oh, my God. So. Did you
2: want to be Save Young Glover?
4: I, I loved Savion Glover, <laughs> but um, I was never good enough. Okay. I was never going to be No good one enough. is.
2: Savion Glover is the only person <laughs> other than Gregory Hines who is good at tap dancing. Yes. It's just the two of them. Yes.
4: I watched a two-hour set of him um, in New York, and it was just mind-blowing. No other musicians, yeah. not, literally just him on, on the floor. It was incredible. So...
2: Lots of tap dancing and crazy.
1: (laughs) So what does it feel like making, you know, basically a new film? It's based on a book, you know, but it's not a sequel. It's not a revival. Yes. Which I've done a lot of sequels. Yes. (laughs) Almost my whole IMDb
4: (laughs) is sequels. (laughs) uh, I I decided to do a movie without a number in it. (laughs) Um, Brave. Yes. Yes. Thank you. Um, It's actually, it's uh, amazingly freeing. Like. When I first got into the business, I had never done a short, never, I mean, I'd done shorts, I'd never done music videos, commercials, I I was discovered by Steven Spielberg, saw my short film from USC, so I got dropped into the Hollywood studio world, and so I felt very lucky to be here, and it was always trying to just prove myself that I should be here. It wasn't until a couple years ago I was working on Now You See Me 2, which is this magic magician movie, and working with some of the biggest stars in the world, and realize that what was I what was I doing what was I contributing to a medium that I love so much cinema and how do we uh, bring more voices to the big screen I realized I was part of the problem because I wasn't moving anything I was just mixing in with everybody so uh, I did the scariest thing that I could do which talk about my own cultural identity which when you're the only asian in the room I know a lot of people share this stuff no matter what ethnicity you are you the last thing you want to talk about is your own ethnicity so um, that was a, a scary thing to do I did one short film when I was in college about it and I no one's ever seen it cuz it's too painful to show
2: do you think this movie will mark a shift for you um, in terms of doing films that are more explicitly about your identity
4: um, I definitely think uh, as an artist over time I've grown you mature and you find new things that interest you and and, and the things that scare me are those uh, topics uh, my film after this is uh, Lynn Manuel Miranda's In the Heights. Uh,
2: oh yeah, which is I'm, all we're familiar. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yes, yes. No wait,
4: who is he? Yes, Lin. He's this guy. Who writes about. music and, and plays. I guess. And, uh,
1: in the Heights, I've seen multiple times oh, because have. that was back before um, a Lynn show cost five million dollars. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, so, so we're shooting that in Washington
4: Heights, in his backyard, uh, and and that is also the sort of uh, a celebration of the immigrant story and finding your home and and, and so these things, I actually signed on to both Crazy Rich Ages and In the Heights at the same time. What? And Crazy Rich Asians just went first. So there is some a shift in my brain to look at things that, that, things that no one else can do, can bring to the big screen. Um, especially at my age, I just had a daughter. Uh, so all these things are sort of coming to a head.
2: I do feel like that's something that at least I find being a non white dude where you're asked like in creative work of about specifically the voice that you have. And I know it's something that used to bother me a little bit because I'm like, you're not asking these guys to, to bring that sort of specificity. Like they get to just make Spider-Man and who, you know, who cares, but I've started to see it a little bit more as like, yeah, like this is something that I have that no so many other people do not have and it's richer for that reason yeah
4: i think it's a, i i actually never understood the word pride like i get it uh, intellectually i never fully understood the emotional uh, feeling of pride probably until this movie um i understood you know being proud of my family being proud of myself but like when you are surrounded by people that you know uh, a journey that they've gone through and you've heard there and it and is similar to yours and you know the lonely feeling and here they are and they have gone through the gauntlet and they are confident and like spitting it out there and you're watching this uh there is a sense of like hell yeah like I, you, you I can't explain it I didn't literally didn't understand until this mo until shooting this movie and showing this movie I see people see it as well and that that changes you no matter what and speaking of um pride, I was yes. gonna say this movie is so
3: splashy and I feel like I was taking in a trillion details at once, which is a very yeah. pleasurable experience <laughs> but I was wondering if there was anything subtle that we may have missed that you take particular pride in having directed
4: in the movie on the first day of shooting we um Kevin Kwan, the writer of the book, called me and, uh, you know, we had all this pressure on us, everyone tweeting different things like they better do this, they better do that. And he said, John, seven years ago, I had not written a book and I was in a dark place. I hated my job. I uh, my best friend was going through a mental breakdown. He's like, I was in the darkest place of my life. And so I just decided to write my story. And he's like, I went to my iMac and I took a a post-it note and I wrote joy and I put it on my iMac, and every day that I, I wrote Max. this, on, <laughs> <laughs> wow, putting me exactly on that time, <laughs> yes. I'm describing every moment. Uh, uh, he said every time, every page of that book, I looked at that post note and said joy. And this movie, in those seven years, has given me so much joy, brought so much light to my life. He's like, when you're making this movie, let everything go and just bring joy to the audience. That's the power of the story. So we took. Uh, that figuratively and literally. And so we put Joy post-it notes on our monitors. Mm. We put it in the scene. So if you look, if you watch the movie, uh, it's sort of like Hidden Mickeys. You can find these little post-it notes that say oh. Joy all over oh. it. Oh, so, wow. okay.
2: I guess that means a second viewing. Of wow. Crazy wow. I'm uh, just saying. When we just curate saying. the viewings at the bowl, we'll be pointing out <laughs> each of the post-it notes. It's better to
4: see on the big screen too because you can
1: really find <laughs> yeah. those True. post-it notes. What I really love is how it harkens back to, you know, like the classic Hollywood big romances that Mm -hmm. we used to get um you know like the 30s and 40s you -hmm. know but it is a new story you know I find it so much better when we get to tell stories that way instead of you know if you were redoing a film that we've already seen just with you know an all Asian cast there's still that baggage of these are the old films and this how it was you know and it doesn't really feel like it's your story Mm -hmm. um do you sort of feel like there are films that you would love to revisit though you know like past hollywood films you know i look at films and i see oh some of these things were racist (laughs) you know and you you know as a uh asian director you know like are there any things in hollywood that you feel like maybe i would love to see that corrected Mm -hmm. either by you or someone else Uh, Yeah, I'm sure there are a ton.
4: I mean, 21
1: or based off the book, Bring Down the
4: House. Oh, yeah, when they made all the characters. lead character (laughs) and all the characters. That would be a fun one to do it correctly. And tell Uh, the actual story. And tell the actual story. I just met Jeff Ma, who wrote the book. Uh And uh, it's a fascinating story. And it changes when you have a different perspective, when you are, uh, it, it is a different. Story. I think about the old. You, you talked about how there's a lot of sort of even references to the old Hollywood uh, musicals or, or mm-hmm. classic sort of stories, um, "How to marry, uh, marry a Millionaire" and all those things. I oh, fucking but, love that movie. Really? But what's fun about this one is that it's uh, through this perspective of someone who's not rich. Even though it's called "Crazy Rich Asians," you get the you get the glitz and the glamour of that. But it's literally not about that. It's about Rachel Chu, this Asian American, going to Asia for the first time, and that's the most personal story for me I remember going to Taiwan when I was 9 or 10 years old and feeling this when you go visit your sort of homeland uh, for the first time, you don't expect this feeling of warmth and like you go into a restaurant and they treat you like you're their son and you go into a store and they treat you like they're your cousin and you're like, Oh, I'm a part of this. And then they call you something like Guaylo, which is like white devil. And then you realize, <laughs> then you're like, Oh, I'm not a part of this. And then you go home and then you feel like you have to choose one or the other. And, and I've always felt so alone. I thought I was the only Asian American who felt this mm-hmm. uh, thing. And, um, um, as I grew older, I realized I was clearly not, and that there's a whole generation of people who felt this. And so
1: hopefully, this movie it comes bridges across that gap. in the movie, you know, okay. that it, specific piece of culture that you know isn't something that you know yeah. I've experienced. And but mm-hmm.
2: that's interesting too, because you grew up in Palo Alto, yeah, right? Which like the Bay Area, totally. I like,
4: never had to deal with any of that stuff. Yeah. I, I, you didn't have to. Th- everything was cool. Uh, it wasn't until. I don't know, even coming to LA was the first time. I mean, mm-hmm. two weeks ago, so it was yelling at the street on me in, in, in Beverly Hills uh, talking about speaking English. And it's like those weird things, you're like, it still oh, happens. It's still, the, and like, Ooh. my sister who went to UCLA it was the first time she had to deal with it uh, walking in Westwood. This is a while ago, 10 years, or maybe more years ago than that. And uh, a, a woman on the street spit in her face. Mm-hmm like literal spit on Your her sister, face. Your sister I it, assume
2: is in prison right now for murdering yeah. that
4: woman. <laughs> and she was, I, I think it shook her. Yeah. My, my sister is like super shy and like that shook her for the rest of her life. Yeah. Like you can't come, you, you can't ever forget that a physical thing like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so, yeah, these things, even though we're protected, I'm so glad that I grew up in an environment that I was protected from it because I know how it can be. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that when you see the world um, that, uh, that, isn't exactly like that yet you know that there is light at the end of the tunnel that there when I even go into Singapore and Singapore isn't the most perfect place in the world but you see all these ethnicities and all these walks of life all these uh, and that's why it's also hard when you're making a movie everyone thinks like oh you're making a movie about Singapore it's just about the rich uh, and but there's so much mm-hmm. more there and that's what we also wanted to show but uh, when you're sitting there and uh, eating food it's like families it's uh, lovers mm-hmm. it's uh, best friends and they're sharing in this food and it's all cultures,
1: all from all around the world, and it's really, really beautiful. So though. when you talk about visiting, you know, um, yourself and just seeing that um, difference between how you were raised here, how do you think this is going to play for Asian audiences, you know, here in America and globally? Mm-hmm. Um, it's hard to tell, to be honest. I think that the story is a universal
4: story we tried to be as specific as we could so that it could create that universality everybody has food as as some sort of centerpiece to their life of family everyone's uh in a a way it's more of a generational divide Mm -hmm. of like these traditions that your parents have come and fought for and brought you to this place that you're living and then you rebelling against that because you want something else and then how do you resolve these two things um, so I don't know how the rest of the world will feel, but I, the only thing I can do is tell my truth of this journey. And I think what I have found is that, uh, we're all human beings and we're all going through that no matter where you are, where you're from. we all feel out. Of, we all feel lonely. We all feel out of place. We're all trying to find our our place in this world and connection is the most important thing that we're all looking for and uh and so this movie is about that and also about your own self-worth which which is what I think it's all about is you are worth uh when, when you your self-worth determines who you think you deserve to be loved by it determines what you th- what job you think you deserve what job how how much uh what your ambition is all those things um and and for Rachel Chu her journey of of discovering that she is worth it and that it's not, uh, she doesn't have to work harder to prove everybody. Of course we have to work hard to do our <laughs> own thing, but like, uh, it, that she's good enough is, is sort of the point of the, of it all.
2: Um, and th- there's a wonderful Hollywood reporter cover and cover story on the film and something I thought was so interesting. And it's been really reported about, like there was an option to bring the film to Netflix and mm-hmm. instead you decided on a traditional theatrical release. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think about in the last few years when you've had like, you've had get outs and black Panthers and things like that and hidden figures. And it feels like for the first time, I, I feel like for black writers and and filmmakers, the pressure of this has to be the movie feels a little bit lower. I mean, I think still like, you know, it's sort of twice as good. It does have to be Mm -hmm. better, but it feels like that's easing up a little bit, but this is like, this is kind of like the, you talked about the pressure for this film and just how you've been, sitting in that especially with like the excitement around it
4: yeah um yeah it's, it's really unfair to say one movie has to represent all asian people from all around the world with all the issues because there's so many mm. things and but
1: it's all up to you and it's all up to me
4: <laughs> in this little movie where's the movie for the demure retiring asians <laughs> exactly. and, <How> about that <laughs> and trust me i get those tweets i get that uh, and i don't know how to answer other than like Did you guys read the book? Because there's specific (laughs) characters that I'm trying to interpret. Um, Yeah. um, So we decided to do a movie because one, I'm... I'm a movie guy. I love the big screen. I Mm -hmm. still believe in the romance of the cinema that uh, it's not just on while you're cooking dinner. It's not just on while you're looking on your phone. It's a place where you go and you fight through traffic and you gather your friends and your family, you make plans and you... You pay money and you go in and you buy food and you sit in a, in a room and you turn off the lights and then you breathe and you say, tell me a story. I'm going to give you my two hours. And I think there is still something to be said when corporate giant corporations who now own all the studios uh, signal to the world that uh, this couple, this romantic uh, Asian leads, this uh, all Asian cast is worth your time and your mm-hmm. energy. It was a sign that has not been um, sort of put out there and it trickles to all media. Netflix is, I love Netflix. It's been amazing. And you know, they're doing some of the most cutting edge stuff and, and so much representation that uh, they, they are on, they're already the future. What I think is the, what's in the past is the movie business. And so I knew as our responsibility as a movie lover and a movie maker, uh, that I I could push this through if I focused in on this. i have been jumping on all these sequels and franchise stuff, like I said, and it's been really fun. I've learned. It's been my grad school. Uh, but to then say, I've earned the right to get one through, and the one I'm going to get through right now is uh, this story that I have not seen on the big screen was important to me. Um, and I do believe that uh, Kevin, myself, Nina Jacobs and Brad Simpson, all our producers were all in a position in our careers where we didn't, we weren't desperate for the money. We weren't desperate for this thing. We had to, what we had to tell this story in the, in the, in the right medium. And, and, and without that, you know, we had, we tripled down emotionally on it. Okay. We were going to be mm-hmm. giving this thing up. Now we have to make this great. And there was no guarantee from Warner Brothers. They were going to market it, or how mm-hmm. many theaters there. So we had to make it so great that they it would compel them to uh, release it at this size. And I think yeah. that was better for the movie.
2: That's True. like that Chris Brown or Chris Rock. God, not Chris Brown. Um, <laughs> where he talks about like you have to. He was referencing some like Muhammad Ali fight, I think. And it was like you have to. It has to be a knockout. Because yeah. if you were to rely on like the judges, um, it was like this black fighter would have lost. And it's mm-hmm. so that pressure of like this has to be a Knockout! it it can be a lot but i think it also like your shit is just better Mm
4: -hmm. i feel like i had to i've trained my whole career my whole Mm life uh for this moment so well it's great everyone should go see it truly the glamour
3: level is like if sex in the city two did not make you feel icky at all and (laughs) replenished your electrolytes (laughs) that's what's going on (laughs)
1: uh crazy rich asians is in theaters next week yeah so go see it please do when we're back keep it And we're back for our favorite segment of the week. It's Keep It. It is. Kara. Yes. What are you keeping?
2: This week, I am keeping think pieces about the HBO series Succession the show on HBO is really good if you haven't seen it it's sort of like a fictional version of the Murdochs I like it because it's a bunch of horrible awful rich white people and you kind of
3: want them to fail I want them to
2: die I want them all to die and their lives are like you know there's drama in the show and so um, anytime something goes bad for them I love it because I have no emotional stake in in their happiness whatsoever
3: especially since the main guy is very like uh, Pete Campbell on Mad Men or Donald Trump Jr. he's my
2: favorite one though if I had to pick one but I have seen all these think pieces about the show and I listen I have written think pieces I get it it's television but I just feel like people are taking it so seriously because they saw like a bunch of rich white dudes and an HBO prestige show and they're like it's deserving of these long ass very serious think pieces and like it is great but like it's it's like a fun like there are parts of the show that are funny and like an almost goofy level and so I feel like people are treating it they're doing like the it's most a, they're doing the most like it's so much like it's it's really good and the characters are really interesting but you know it, it, I don't know that it's worthy of like these crazy deep intricate dives into like what this means about this that or the other like it's just a really fucking entertaining television show let it be that love HBO but just because it's on HBO doesn't mean that it's now like the most layered fucking thing you've ever seen Where on TV. ballers
1: I, think pieces? I'm
2: saying. That's
3: just that the word succession feels like it requires a certain it requires, amount of gravitas. Yes. Yes. Like, it really mm-hmm. was
2: Like designed for these exact type of kind of like white internet dudes to be like, this is important. I need to write about it. And they I mean, brilliant move because HBO like nailed it. But um, just stop, please.
3: Also, the girl on that show, Sarah Snook, do you know she's Australian? How wild is that? She
2: talks a little you could she could see that she maybe has like a little bit of an accent but she's she's great and i have to i really do like the show i don't like all of you who are writing these (laughs) things my (laughs) My
1: favorite thing about the show i haven't seen it uh but is succession twitter versus billions twitter oh it's like which show should you be watching
2: and they're they're i i like both shows um So just watch, I mean, my God, just watch both of them and shut up about it. How about that, guys?
3: (laughs) That's your version of Goofus and Gallant. Billions Twitter versus Succession Twitter. Goofus,
2: highlights for children, (laughs) girl.
3: (laughs) Highlights for you. What is your keep it? Okay. I actually apologize for the lack of quality I'm bringing to my keep it this week. Recently, (laughs) I just was at a lovely restaurant. At least you've apologized (laughs) for once. (laughs) Here we go. They served water that you have to get from like the carafe itself. And it had cucumber flakes in it. Excuse me, no one. Do you ever drink water and think this would be so much better if it were less hydrating? No, it's, it's a less dis-
2: hydrating. I think with a it cucumber. Is.
3: Excuse me. I'm now eating a food instead of drinking <laughs> a <mostly> water. That's <laughs> mostly
2: water. A cucumber is like 90% water. I don't
3: need obstacles on the way to the water. <laughs> I don't need to jump over some tires before I get to the water. It's global I gotta, guts. I can't but get but on board for with this one. I'm just saying, here, here I am with a sandwich. That's food for me. I don't need more secret lettuce in the drink well, I'm so consuming. Well, a
2: question for you, Lewis. If you had gone to the same carafe, uh-huh. and instead they had put some berries in it, perhaps, to infuse the water... Mm-hmm. would you be unhappy with that if they put a lemon and there's a little bit of the pulp in well, it?
3: Well, now we're talking about berries, which I believe I could separate myself. Whereas okay. the flakes in the cucumber simply want to no, join maybe, the maybe, water. I don't know if you've ever seen how water works. It will flow oh, inside yes.
1: you with flakes in it. Got it. Yes, got and it. I can't get it out. I
2: think, I think berries could do that because mm. some of the little bits will come off and it would do a similar thing to to the cucumber. There's yeah. a
1: reason Captain Crunch doesn't have... Captain Crunch cucumber. Yes, <laughs> berries. That's right. Yes. Well, also, does
3: berries <laughs> taste better than cucumber to me?
2: You just don't. You don't like infused water.
3: No,
1: I'm somebody with all the shit separated on my plate.
2: Um, Do you know what I'm
3: saying? Yeah. I also just don't Flakes like these included.
1: in general. Yeah. We used to have like one at MTV, and I was just always suspicious about like the sanity, the sanitation, and then I learned that some people were refilling them with like their water bottles and then people started getting sick in the office so I'm why like, would you
2: refill keep... it with your oh my water god because people
1: are gross what is Ugh. this contagion am <laughs> i gwyneth people got sick for like a week and it was because of the water i was like luckily i never drank any of it because i didn't
2: trust it
3: oh my god don't trust cucumbers just period i turn most of them into pickles
1: i just don't want to see it I just don't want to see
3: it.
2: Oh, my goodness. Right. Brine it. Okay.
1: My uh, keep it this week is for everybody who is writing that First Amendment dick talking <laughs> about removing Alex Jones from Spotify, YouTube, whatever. Facebook. Facebook is infringing on people's First Amendment rights. These are privately owned companies that can decide who they want to have on their platform and it is not encroaching on your first amendment rights and the person i'm most mad about is the other day ted cruz that serial killer was talking about how you know I remember that poem. First, they came from for Alex oh, Jones. Oh, bitch! No, like, no, You know what, bitch? Oh god! Let's not use this poem in reference to Alex Jones. And two, aren't you trying to win an election, bitch? Like. Beto is out here literally snatching all of your votes. People can't stand your crazy ass, and you're busy like running around trying to make Trump feel better while he calls your wife ugly. And now you're out here defending Alex Jones. Get your life together, Ted Cruz. He is a
3: sentient pile of pus. I mean, I just there's nothing else to him. Someone drew a face on some pus. I'm sorry. That's I'm sorry we had to talk about when Megan
1: McCain is making fun of you on the View. Like it's a wrap. <laughs> She can't make fun of anybody. When, she, when
3: Meghan McCain stars in your roast, something's the matter. Right?
1: Oh like, God. she she can't even give the dozen. She gives you six, and she is dunking on Ted Cruz.
2: You know, it goes back to, too, nobody knows anything or reads anything, and they clearly haven't read the fucking Constitution. Nobody knows anything. I'm
1: going to pop in your window like we're in fucking Mayberry and start talking to you. You can't close the window like, on me because free
2: speech. right? Don't you people think that because you have laws against hate speech, oh you can't just say whatever the fuck or you can and you can get fired for it but the government can't throw you in prison for it that's what it means
3: i'm not picturing alex jones in like his
1: grand wizard outfit just like walking door to door hoping to be accepted free speech unless you're saying white people are awful and then then they get then they get real, <laughs> then they mad. Get, they get real then mad
2: they get real mad <laughs> they get they uh they uh tattle to the new york times on you <laughs>
1: Anyway, Mm -hmm. Ted Cruz. Don't
2: ever stop making white people jokes, guys. (laughs) And also,
1: Ted Cruz, worry about your fucking election, which you're going to lose, but at least pretend like you're trying to win. That's our show this week. We'll talk to you next week.